Hey, um, we got a bunch of uh, ladies on a women's retreat this weekend, and uh, so um, I'm looking out, see a few dads by herself. Nice job. They asked me to make a list, you know, just see who was here. I don't know what that means and everything, but so just <laughs> checking that off, okay? So, uh, so glad, glad you're here, guys. Really are. And um, um, also, we got a bunch of kids and dads on a kids outdoor zone catching fish and apparently shooting squirrels. So um, that's the rumor, at least. And so they're uh, out there. But does not dampen the enthusiasm for the middle school, right? That's beautiful. Hey, um, a few minutes ago, we sang this song. Aaron led us in this song, The, the Rock. And, uh, you know, and it's the rock won't move and his word is strong, right? Uh, and I was thinking about that, you know, that um, we ought to have a Sunday sometime where maybe all we do is sing that song. Uh, because it feels like we need to be reminded on a regular basis that the rock won't move and his word is strong uh, and uh, that the rock won't move and his love, how's it go? Cannot be undone, can't be undone. Yes, exactly. Uh, and that, that we need to be reminded of that truth because it feels like um, that that sometimes the ground is shifting beneath us. It feels like sometimes the world is changing, that, that things are moving and we're out of control uh, with it and, and uh, that things maybe are going too fast for us, but it, it just feels unstable and we need regular reminders uh, that the rock won't move and his word is strong. But we need regular reminders of who God is in our lives and the truth uh, about who he is because he, he's the rock that we stand on and, and everything else is sinking sand, everything else is shifting uh, and inconsistent. And so, uh, you know, I, I thought about that song. I, I really love singing that song uh, with, with you guys. And I thought, man, maybe we just need to sing it more often because I, I, know, I know I need that reminder on a regular basis, pretty much constantly I need that reminder that the, the rock won't move and his word is strong. And that's what we're talking about uh, in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it um, the Upside Down Kingdom, that when Christ came, he turned the world upside down. He said, you've been thinking about this all wrong. It's not about religion, but it's about a relationship. It's not about what you do and how you look, but it's about who you belong to and who you trust and, and, and who you give your life to. And so Jesus came to teach us that. He came to show us that. And, and then he has this point where he goes up on the mountainside and he sits and he begins to teach. He begins to teach and and he starts it with "Blessed are the poor in spirit." He says, "You're actually blessed when you recognize that without me you're a beggar. Without me you're a spiritual beggar. Without me you're completely empty. You're completely bankrupt. And it's not until we realize that condition, it's not until we realize that part of our lives that we can begin to experience what it means to live a blessed life. That we can begin to experience what it means to." To belong to Jesus. And, and so he takes us through those first ones. We just looked at all the Beatitudes over the, the last two weeks. And today we're going to follow up on that because he says, once you get through the Beatitudes, remember he finished with, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He, he didn't say, blessed are you when you're persecuted just for doing lame things or, or you know, dumb things. He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake for yours, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then this week, he gives us a metaphor. He gives us two pictures of what it looks like, 
A person who lives the blessed life. What does a person who lives the blessed life look like? And and it's a very familiar passage. We're going to look at it this morning. He says that you look like two things. Jesus said, the person who's living the blessed life, a person who belongs to me, looks like salt and looks like light. Let's, Let's read those out of Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus speaking the words of Christ says this, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be, um, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Wow. So so Jesus says the very first thing is what you look like. You look like salt. I don't know, but in 2016, that's not such a big deal. In in 2016, it's not that impressive, you know. Jesus says you look like salt because we all know what salt is, and salt is pretty much what you put in a salt shaker and you put on your food. But if you were living in the first century and Jesus said that, it would mean something completely different to you because salt was really valuable to them in the first century. In fact, salt was so valuable that if you were a Roman soldier, you would get a portion of salt as your pay uh, that you would get, because they considered salt critical, salt essential to life. And so you would actually get a portion of salt as your pay, uh, and that we actually, it, it, there are two words, we actually get th- this idea of salt uh, from the Romans. It is salarium argentinum, uh, argentinum, and it means it's the salary that the Romans got, and it comes from this word salt. We actually get our word salary from the word salt. And consequently, if somebody isn't doing a good job, you might say that person's not worth their, thank you, they're not worth their salt. Uh, that we've come to say that because of how valuable salt was back in the ancient times. Now, salt was also used with food. We know that, that that we get words like salad uh, from the the Latin sal. We get words like salad, we get sauce, we get sausage, we get all of these words that are derivatives that are come from this word that we use for salt. It was a valuable term. The very first thing that we think of and we think of salt is, is what everybody thinks of. We think of salt as a seasoning. And Jesus is wanting us to understand that reference, that that he's saying that you're the salt of the earth, and therefore, because you're the salt of the earth, that you're a seasoning in the life of people, that you enhance the flavor of life for other people. Imagine someone who's lived their lives trying to be happy. They've lived their lives trying everything that they possibly can to make themselves happy, to make themselves complete, to find real flavor, real happiness, real joy in life. And so, they, you know, they try success and, and ultimately it doesn't make them happy. And, and so they maybe try alcohol, they try uh, relationships, they keep trying thing after thing after thing after thing. And finally, they've tried so many things that life just doesn't have any flavor anymore. Nothing has worked. 
And Jesus says, when people live like that, you're the salt. Your life brings seasoning to their lives. You enhance the flavor in their lives. That's who we are. And and you know, Jesus doesn't say, hey, I want you to be salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. That if you're a follower of mine, if you belong to me, if 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 you've given your life to me, then you are salt and you enhance the flavor. Jesus said, accept that when you don't. And he says this, that if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I have a picture of the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is famous for a couple of things. Um, It's famous, one is that it's elevation. The land, uh, on one part of the Dead Sea, the land is the lowest land mass in the world. It's 1,407 feet below sea level. And it's it's so salty, you can see the salt residue, that around around the Dead Sea, there's salt and other minerals that are are so prevalent that nothing can live uh, around it. And people used to come uh, in the ancient times and harvest that salt, and they would get the salt out and leave the rest of the residue, which was, for them, it was worthless. Now, today, they figured out other uses for those minerals, but back then it made it completely useless. Take the salt out and what was left was useless. And Jesus said, if the salt has lost its saltiness, and I think that's sort of interesting because, you know, unsalty salt is kind of an oxymoron, right? It's sort of like saying that the water has lost its wetness. What is that? You know, smoke or, I don't know, but, uh, but it's not water, right? And salt, but that's lost its saltiness is not salt anymore, Jesus is saying, it's just worthless. It's worth nothing. It just gets trampled over by men and it has no meaning. And here, Jesus is giving us this picture that you're the salt of the earth. And when we're connected to Christ, we enhance the flavor of life for other people. But if we, but, you know, but if we don't, if we're not following Christ, if we are not staying close to Christ, if we're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, if we're not being peacemakers everywhere we go, then we sort of have the opposite effect, right? We sort of prove what people think about the church already. There are a bunch of hypocrites or people that don't do what they say or people that say, you know, do what I say, not what I do, and they, and, and they don't hold up their end of it. And Jesus is saying that when you go into the world, you're enhance the flavor of life for people that you come in contact with you're my salt you're whom I've chosen to send out there and he says nobody gets a pass he doesn't say I'm challenging you to be salt he just says you are the salt for good or bad we're the salt of the earth and the other thing about salt is in those days it was a it was a preserving agent they didn't have the big refrigerators. They, they didn't have coolers. And they would pound salt into the meat to preserve it longer, to make it last longer, because that, that, they didn't have any other choices. And so salt became a preserving agent. And Jesus is looking at the people on the mountain today, and he's looking at us, and he's saying, look at a world that's in decay. We would probably all agree with that, right? Look at a world that's in trouble. Look at a world that's in decay. And I'm sending you in the world as salt to be a preserving agent, to bring my perspective, to bring my life into all of those situations so that people might see what life is really about, so people might see what I'm really about. And we're called to be preserving agents in the world as well. 
We're the salt. Now, here's the last little thing I'll throw in. Salt creates thirst, doesn't it? Salt creates thirst. And when you've experienced salt, you, you get thirsty. And here's what Jesus is saying is that when you're the salt, when you're my salt, when you're the salt of the earth, you're going to create a thirst in people who need me, a thirst in people who need to discover me, who need to find me. And that you are people who enhance the flavor of life, show people what it means to, to have the joy of Christ living in you, flowing through you. You're going to be a preserving agent in a world that's in decay. And then finally he says, and people are going to get thirsty because of your life. They're going to realize that they have a need for something. What is it? So Jesus challenges us. He calls us the salt of the earth. Well, the next thing that he says is that you are the light of the world. You're salt, and, and then he says, you're, and you're, by the way, you're the light of the world. And it's kind of interesting, because lots of times in the New Testament, when you read this, <clears throat> when you read this idea, uh, when Jesus says something about you, usually he's referring in the plural, that all of you, um, and this particular word is a singular word. And it's important for us because here's what he's saying. He's saying nobody gets a pass. If you belong to me, you are the light of the world. You are my light in the world. You, all of you collectively, but all of you individually are my light. That, that none of us get out of this. None of us can say, I'll just, can I just stand close to somebody who's a good light? Uh, maybe, maybe I'll just kind of be near them. Is that enough? And Jesus says, no, if you belong to me, you are the light of the world. You're a light that shines in the darkness. You're a light that shines in a way that people are directed to Christ. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, something interesting about this is there's a couple of places, in, in fact, in John 8, 12, and another place in John 9, that Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world. That Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he who follows me will no longer live in darkness, but will live in the light. And so what we know is that Jesus is the light of the world. And then Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And what does he mean by that? Here, here's the idea that he wants us to understand is that we're his reflected light. That when the light of Christ comes and lives inside of you, his light shines through us into the world. That it's not my light, it's not about me, but it's about the light of Christ that shines through me. It's the light of Christ that shines through you in a world that desperately needs to see Jesus and we're the light of the world. He says this in, in Philippians 2.15. We have 15, but I wanted to read 14 because it's kind of fun. It just says this, uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Just throwing that in. But, but then he says in 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, um, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That we live in a, twisted, crooked generation. We live in a generation that's filled with darkness. We, we live in a generation that's lost. Uh, we, we live in a culture that feels like that it's forgotten God, that's going the other direction. And Jesus says, you know who you are? You're the light that shines. You're the ones that point the way to Jesus. You're the ones that through your life, people get a picture 
of who Christ is. They can find their way to Jesus through your life, that that's who you are. We're salt and we're light. It's a result of who we are in Christ. It's a result of the Beatitudes being lived out in our lives that as we go about our lives as followers of Jesus, he says, you are salt and you are light. And here's the last thing that he says. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. (laughs) In the same way, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus says you're a city set on a hill. And and he says another thing, that you're a lamp, that we're a lamp. And and so he gives us these two pictures of light. One is a city set on a hill that that cannot be hidden. And, And the other is that you don't go into your house and light a lamp and then cover it up. No, you want every part of your house to be lit. You want to be able to see your way around. You want people to who come into your house to know where they are and to know where they can sit and to feel comfortable and to feel welcome. And Jesus says that's what it's like. It's like we're a city set on a hill that shine our light so people can come. And then when people come, we want them to see who Christ is when they get into our homes, when they get into our lives, when we have a relationship with them. We don't hide who we are. We don't hide that light of Christ in our lives, uh, but we shine the love of Christ to people that we meet, to people that are involved. And so it's a great picture of people who are out there seeing the light on a hill, but people who are in here, people who are in our homes, people who are in our lives, people who work in the, the cubicle next to ours, people who, uh, who we visit, people who are our neighbors, live in our community. We are a lamp. We are the light of Christ to those people, not just people who are far away, but people who are close, close by us. So we're the light of the world, and we shine before others so they can see your good works. Wow. They can see our good works. They can see our lives. They can see what we do. They can see who we are in Christ. It's not about us, though, right? It's not about people seeing how good we are. But what Jesus said is they can see your good works. They can see the results of your life and give glory to your Father. You know what he's saying? Because he said, you know... um, Uh, in one part, that we will be called the children of God in the Beatitudes. And and we talked about this, that we become, we start to resemble our Father. We take on this family resemblance, that that part of what it means to walk with Christ is that we start to look like Christ, that we start to act like Christ, that we start to treat people the way Christ did, that we look like Christ. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that when we're the light of the world, that people begin to see Jesus through our lives and they glorify him. It's not about the work that we do, it's about the opportunity through our lives for people to see Jesus. We're reading this book as a staff and with the elders called Good Faith, and they talk about how, how to bring the light, bring the salt into the today's culture that seems to have gone so far in a different direction, and they talk about three ways that we do that. First, they talk about love, and then they talk about uh, believe, and then they, they talk about live. Love, believe, 
and live. And the first one is love. And, and we talk about this a lot because Jesus said that the first commandment, the great commandment, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That what it means uh, is that we're all in, that we have chosen to follow Christ. We've given him our whole lives, that we love him with everything that we have. And, and the, the, that's the beginning of how people see Christ is because we love him. And then Jesus said, and the second commandment is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And he gave us one of the most beautiful examples in the gospels, uh, in the parable of the good Samaritan. He talked about this man who was robbed and beaten uh, on the road, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, which was uh, 18 miles of treacherous road where there was known for its robbers. It was known for its danger. And a man got beaten and robbed on that road and said the priest came by and, and he saw this man bloody and beaten and he goes to the other side of the road and he walks by him because he's an important guy and he can't afford to get his expensive toga bloody and messy and he's got things to do and people to see and so he goes on by uh, the man and then a Levite comes who is another religious leader and, and he's an important guy and he doesn't have time so he keeps walking by and then Jesus said all of a sudden a Samaritan comes riding a donkey and this Samaritan sees the man and he stops and helps him. Now if you were in the first century hearing Jesus tell this story you would be scandalized by the story because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breeds. They warred against Samaritans. They wouldn't go into Samaria. They wouldn't step foot. They would be considered unclean if they even stepped foot in Samaria. And Jesus is saying, that's the guy that stopped. That's the guy that was his neighbor. That's the guy that cared. That's what light looks like, Jesus is saying. That it's not about where you were born and it's not about where you were educated or how you were trained, but it's about how you treat your neighbor. That it, what it means to be light is how we love. How we love Christ, how we love our neighbors. And then, of course, Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I've loved you. It's how we love each other. So the first thing that we do, if you want to know what it means to be salt and light, it begins with how we love. And then Jesus said, and, or, well, and then these authors said, in terms of being salt and light, that the second part of that was about what we believe. And for me, and we talk about this again uh, uh, quite often, is that it, for me it begins with the resurrection, that we believe in the resurrection. We believe that Christ died on a cross for our sins and that he rose again. And we believe that it's so powerful and it's so important that, that everything stands on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection is true, then all of the rest of the Bible is true. All of the other promises are true. So think about this, that when Christ said, I'm going away, but I'm preparing a place that where I am, you may be also, that someday I'm gonna come and get you. We know that that's true because of the resurrection. We we know that's true because Christ rose from the grave. He kept his promise. He continues to keep his promises. So when we're persecuted, when we're struggling, when, when life is hard, when the sand is shifting under our feet, we're reminded of the truth of the resurrection and we stand firm on that truth. We believe it. And everything else is built around that. So we are people who live in hope. We are people who live in joy. We are people who live in confidence because of the resurrection of Jesus, because we stand on that. So they said it's how we love, it's what we believe, and then they said, and live. We live that. 
You see, I'm convinced that the world is looking for people who have that kind of hope, who have the hope of the resurrection in their hearts, who love Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who are peacemakers wherever they go. And as people see that kind of light, as people experience that, that salt of who Christ is in our lives, they are drawn to our Heavenly Father. They are drawn to Christ. They're drawn to the truth of who He is. And that's what people are looking for. They're looking for people who authentically love and follow Jesus. They're looking for people who not only say they love Jesus, but they live it out. They live it out in the world. They live it out every day of their lives. How do I love my neighbor, Lord? How do I get serious about loving that, that person next to me? What, what is that supposed to look like in my life? And then everything in our life is affected by that. So, because, you know, we talk about prayer we talk about spiritual disciplines. We talk about discipleship. And, and people tell me all the time, it is so hard to pray. And, I, and I'll joke with them, you know, that, that, yeah, I get it, because if it wasn't important, it'd be easy, right? And so it's hard to pray. But if we know that we're salt and light, if we know that when we go in the grocery store uh, this afternoon, that we, we may be the light of the only light of Christ that that cashier sees today, when, when we believe that with all of our heart, when we believe that Christ has sent us into the world to enhance the flavor of life, to be a preserving agent, to create a thirst, to be a light that allows people to see Jesus, when we really come to grips with that and, and understand it, it changes everything because now we pray, Lord, give me the strength, Lord, give me the wisdom, make me your light today and it changes how we pray it changes how we think even about prayer Jesus before talking to his followers always talked to his father first before making a major decision before doing anything big in his ministry Jesus always went and spent time with the father he always got away to be with the father he's simply saying follow my example if you want to be salt and light we we take it to the father first Take it to him first. And then we live. Then we live for Christ in the world. You know, Jesus took that idea. He prayed for people who were lost. He prayed for people who needed the light. He prayed for people who needed that salt all the way to the cross. That on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do that even from the cross, Jesus took it to the Father and prayer changes when we decide to be salt and light, when we recognize really that we're salt and light. Our worship changes. <coughs> Our worship becomes that much more heartfelt because we're worshiping the God of the second chance. We're worshiping a God who did not hold our sin against us, but when we recognize that we were, that we were beggars spiritually, that he came, that he gave his life for us, uh, that he saved us, that he gave us everything uh, that we have, uh, and he called us to, be, to love our spiritually lost friends as he's loved us. It's when our Bible study takes on a whole new relevance because we're not just looking for abstract theological 
truths, but we're looking for help for our friends or, or maybe an explanation or, uh, or something that can help get them past a spiritual sticking point in their lives. It's when our dependence on God is at its greatest. Apart from the work of God, there's no way that we can bring about any kind of conversion. God has called us to be salt and light, but we, but we recognize that he does the work and, and we're dependent on him for that. Jesus has called us to be his light in a dark world. He's called us to preserve. He's called us to enhance the flavor of life, to create a thirst. He's called us to all of those things. So I'm going to turn off the lights here for a second. Ready, Jeff? It's pretty dark in here. and um, You know, the darker it gets... The, the more awkward, you know, you kind of feel the side of your chair. Um, you kind of, you know, the longer it goes, you sort of think about who's around you and maybe you even think who's sitting in front of you or behind you and did you smile at them this morning when you came in? Did you say hello? And then we're reminded that Jesus called us to be light. And I have a light here. It's not, not a very bright light, actually. That, you know, one of our greatest fears is that our, our light is too insignificant. Uh, one of our fears is that our light isn't bright enough. And, and we want to compare our light to other people's lights. And, and if we don't think our light measures up, then we don't turn on our light or we don't allow our light to shine. We try to hide our light. But Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And if you don't allow your light to shine in front of people, then nobody's going to allow their light to shine. He's saying, but if we do this together... We become a city set on a hill. All of a sudden, my little light makes a, starts to feel like a better light. It starts to feel like a greater light. When I was a senior in high school, I had this buddy, Corey, who uh, finally came to Christ um, halfway through our senior year in high school. And I'll never forget, we're sitting up one night talking after he came to Christ, and and he said to me, um, he said, Larry, I always knew you were different. And I was kind of hoping that was a compliment, actually. Um, said, I, I always knew you were a little different. And then he said to me, why didn't you say something sooner? Glad the lights are off. And I said, I thought to myself then, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to, I don't want to ever hear somebody say to me, why didn't you tell me sooner? It's, it's not about being different. It's about allowing the light of Christ to shine in our lives. It's about being salt and light in a world that is so desperately thirsty, a world that's so desperately in the dark, um, so badly needs to see the Savior who loves them, who gave themselves for them. And all he asks of me is that I would let my light shine. All he asks of me is that I would be salt. That I, I don't have to be special. I don't have to be the brightest light in the room. I just simply have to be who Christ made me. I'm one who's forgiven. I'm one who's loved by Christ. I belong to him. And he's made me salt. And he's made me light. And that's what he's done for you too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the 
your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that you've called us to yourself and that you've made us salt and you've made us light. Lord, uh, it feels a little overwhelming sometimes, and yet it's really just the, the byproduct of having you in my life. And so, Lord, I want to receive that this morning. I want to accept the fact that this is who I am. I want all of us, Lord, to accept the fact that this is who we are. That if we're a follower of you, Lord, that you have made us salt and you've made us light. And, Lord, we give you thanks. Uh, it's our heart's desire that people would see you through our lives. We give you praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.